0: Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina, board certified psychiatrist in South Florida. Are you ready to take the couch? Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina. Are you ready to take the couch? Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina. And I just wanted to tell you about the ways to follow me. So if you're listening to this podcast, I don't know what platform you're on, but I'm on all of the podcast platforms, Google, Apple, uh, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora. And you can also follow me on my social media. For those of you who found me through your podcast platform and not on social media. Some people have been following me on Instagram or Facebook, and that's how they learned about the podcast. But for those of you who learned about my podcast first, please feel free to follow me on social media. On Instagram and Facebook, I'm Dr. Delvina. The doctor is abbreviated as DR, and there's no period. So it's DR Delvina, which is spelled D as in Delta, E-L, V as in Victor, E-N-A. And let's see, I have a website. I mentioned before that the website was under construction, but the website is up and good to go. It is Dr. Delvina Help. So, again, the DR is abbreviated DR, D as in Delta, E L, V as in Victor, E N A, Help, H E L P as in Papa.com, Dr. Delvina Help.com. So, please. Go to my website, take a look, peruse the site, and see what's going on there. And uh, I'm also, let's see, where else am I? I'm in SoundCloud as well, but I'm not as active on SoundCloud as I am with my um, with my podcast. You know, this podcast has been up since May 2020 during the pandemic, and um, I just love talking about the brain and helping to educate people about their mental health and wellness. So please spread the word. Tell a neighbor. Tell a friend. Tell a family member. Tell a loved one. Tell a significant other. Tell your ex. If there's something I've t- I touched on that really that you identify with and you want to share it with someone, share it, please. Mm-hmm. forgive me I'm in the airport today I had drill and I had drill yesterday if you don't know I'm in the Army Reserve welcome to the brain love podcast it's another Sunday night and I am looking for my mic anyhow I wanted to ensure this episode gets posted on time so I'm working on it here in the airport I hope everyone is well I'm joined tonight on the couch by Dr. Naima. Dr. Naima is an author, an entrepreneur, a chiropractor, a mother, and I didn't say that in any particular order. It's just what I'm recalling off the top of my head. But we had a very engaging chit chat during Black History Month. And initially, I was going to play her interview during Black History. You hear the baby crying? because um, she has a book called Raised as a Lie. And um, on the cover, you'll see a little brown girl surrounded by white people. And that's what Raised as a Lie is about, discovering her identity. And this is why I wanted to play this during Black History Month. But if you follow me, you know I was on vacation in Asia for over two weeks. So it didn't happen. So I thought, well, hey, why don't I play it during the month of March, which is Women's History Month? Because I thought it would be very appropriate as well and very appropriate to start the month with Dr. Naima with her empowering story. So listen, Dr. Naima has so much to share and I want you guys to learn from her story because although you may start out, your life may have started out rocky. You can really change the course of your life. You can really change the course by making a difference in your own life. Are you ready to take the couch? Hey, 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 guys. You know, it's Sunday night and I told you I had... I always have a special guest on the couch, man. And I have another uh, person, a a woman, a lady, a professional. She does so many things. She wears so many hats. She's a mother. I have on my couch tonight, Dr. Naima. Did I say your name properly? You
1: did amazing. Yes.
0: Oh, awesome. Awesome. So Dr. Naima, guys, I, I want you to check her out. So if you are listening you're not driving, you're not on your Peloton, you're not doing any of those things, please go and pull up her website while we're talking so you can reference who Dr. Naima is. She's beautiful. She has a beautiful, uh, just outward appearance and a beautiful spirit. We know that what's important is is what's inside of us, not our outward appearances. Go to www.drnaima, doctor is abbreviated as it is for me, DR, And as in November, A. E E M as in Mike A.com. Did I get that right, Doc? You did a great job. Yes. So, Dr. Naima, before we get into it, before I introduce you and say who you are, I do have a question that I ask everyone. That question is Are you ready to take the couch?
1: I am. Let's go.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So guys, Dr. Naima is not only an author. I told you she is a mother. She has three beautiful children. She's a chiropractor and entrepreneur. She owns a business and she is a host of Elevate Now, capital N, capital O, capital W, Elevate Now. It's a podcast where she champions women to pursue their passions with practical advice and resources. In 2008, Dr. Naima's eldest son, he endured a health crisis, and that's what motivated her to become a doctor of chiropractic. She founded Elevate Family Chiropractic, and for over five years, she has served the greater North Atlanta community. Thank you for what you do, Dr. Naima.
1: I am so honored um, to be able to serve the community that I do. Um, I I don't know if you have that experience um, or you've had it, but as a black female doctor, we represent less than 1% in our profession. Um, And what I thought my patient base was going to look like because I practice in North Atlanta, was truly old white men. That's what I thought it was going to look like because that's what the majority of the population is. And I'm honored because the majority of the patients that we serve are families of color. And that is so dope to me. I love that. And I feel really honored to be able to do it.
0: Absolutely man. absolutely. So that is true. Most of our brown and and uh, black folks, um, people of color, bipoc, they are looking for someone who looks like them. So it's awesome when we can be we can represent our fields and we can help our people. we can help folks and and give them options. Um, and it's you're correct. it's less than one percent uh psychiatrists in America, less than one percent are psychiatrists of color. Mm. So guys. Mm go over to Dr. Naima's uh, website. I know some of you are listening from Atlanta. She is based out of Atlanta. As I mentioned to you, she's a self-empowerment coach and entrepreneur. So, um on your podcast, you're you're talking to women tonight, when I'm sure it's just like my podcast where a lot of the themes can apply to men and women. Yes. So, 100%. Yeah. 100%. I don't want yes. So guys, tonight we're talking about her book. She has a book and uh, the name of her book, Dr. Naima, give the name of your book for the folks, because I think it says a whole lot. The title is very uh, captivating.
1: Yes, the title is Raised as a Lie. It is provocative on purpose. Mm. Yes. And so here we are in
0: February. February is Black History Month. What, what? Yes, it's Black History Month. Um, guys, go on Amazon, look at Raised as a lie, purchase raise as a lie. We're gonna support a Black business, but you should support this because it chronicles this woman's true life experiences with racism, her identity. Um, obviously, when we discuss racism and issues with identity, it comes coupled with trauma. And we know in our communities we have a lot of trauma. And oftentimes there's no healing, but in her book, she goes into that space as well. Um, she has talked about this book in and, and several different spaces uh, before audiences. She's done it virtually, and now you're hearing her tonight on the couch. Um, so I want to just jump right into the book, Dr. Naima, because we only have yes, so ma'am. much time. Let's go. So, you know, before I started uh, recording I asked you, what is raised as a lie? What does that mean? Were you adopted?
1: Yes, and I was not. I was not. I um I think the the most important thing that any of us, all of us, can do is to tell our story. All of us, we all we all have stories and we share those. Connections through stories, right? Like storytelling goes back to, um, you know, the beginning of time. The griots were the ones who told the stories and kept the um, the history of people alive and and allowed for younger generations to understand from which that they came. And I think that. I I struggled with deciding to write this book. I, I, I actually had no intention on it. And like most people, 2020 was a year of coming out, which is so ironic because we were all locked inside. Um, and so for me, this idea of finally telling my story only truly came from uh, an emotional breakup uh, where I, I felt completely broken down and I didn't understand that relationship ending. Why I felt so paralyzed and tragically unable to pull it all together And I had accomplished a lot in my life. And I I just could not fathom why this had been so difficult. And the truth was, is because I had never dealt with my own childhood trauma. So I was the little brown girl who grew up in an all-white family, went to all-white schools, uh, lived in all-white neighborhoods. And I always knew that I looked different. And I had an older sister who was venomous um, about pointing that out to me and and telling me that I was dirty and, and unworthy and unloved and that uh, our mom had just adopted me, just picked me up from a corner. And she would always do that in secrecy. She would never let the adults hear. And I was too ashamed to ever even tell anybody that she was so awful to me. And partly because I believed her. I mean, clearly, um, I was the different one. If you uh, go online and you can see the cover of the book, the I am standing in front of my siblings and cousins, they're all blonde hair, blue eyed. My mom is was green eyed, um, she had brown hair, but extremely fair skin. The man on my birth certificate was blonde hair, blue eyed. There was nobody that looked like me. And yet what I was being told by the people who loved me the most didn't make sense. And so I never shared my sister's bullying because I I, deep down inside, I I felt that. Mm -hmm. And right around, right before my 18th birthday, my mother um, had moved us to a really small town in Arizona. And when I say small, y'all, there were less than 5,000 people on a good day.
0: Hey, Dr. So- Naima, let me jump in here for just one second, because um, you're talking about when you were 18, but I want to tease some things out. Mm-hmm. Um, so you were you born, I saw you went to college in, in Los Angeles. Were you born yeah. in California?
1: No, born in Texas. Okay.
0: So, and you were, so you were born and from the time that you can remember, you were this little girl in a household with, um, siblings who had, uh, whites, well, paler skin than than you. Mm -hmm. They weren't bronze. They didn't have bronze skin. They had blonde hair. You said their eyes weren't Brown. Their eyes were blue. Um, your mother also was appeared to be similar, Um, So no one looked like you. When did you identify that no one looked like you? At what age?
1: My earliest memories are my sister, um, probably about three, um, where my sister was just venomously bullying me and telling me that I was dirty. And so,
0: so you didn't recognize at the time of, you know, and and we all know how it is when we're three and four and five years old. It's like, you're carefree. You're not thinking about anything. You're not really paying attention to how people look. You're not even really paying attention to how you look. How much older than you is your sister?
1: Seven years.
0: So you were three, she was 10. She was like in fifth grade or something Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And you can remember back to age three, your sister saying things to you about why do you look different? You're dirty? All of these types of derogatory type terms and, and language toward yes. you. Yes. Um, and so between the ages of three and eighteen, um, so she didn't do this in front of your family members. Did you guys well, you were still so, um, there was so many years between the ages. Did you ever were you ever in the same school as your sister or, um, no. okay. Mm-hmm. So in your in your neighborhood, were you guys associated with like the same friends in the neighborhood or no,
1: no, she was a 10 year, I mean, seven years older than Yeah, me. So it was.
0: Yeah. So it's it was never like ago. a group of you outside on the playground. And, um, I guess what I'm about to get at is whether or not she ridiculed you enough in, in front of other kids in the neighborhood, or was that just
1: a secret between the two of you? Um, No, in front of, so I, um, my mom's side of the family, my mother was Italian, big Italian family. And so at all the gatherings, there were lots of cousins that were cousins everywhere. And, um, so, you know, kids and adults typically separated family gatherings. And, and so in front of my cousins, while she wouldn't say those things, what she would do is bully me in other ways and demean me and devalue me and, um, until like my cousins would get on her side, right? So my sister was, she was pretty consistent. It, the race part of it never, um, that never showed up in front of the adults, but the, or even, you know, other um Uh, other younger family members and not in front of, you know, her friends. I mean, there were certainly times that we were, you know, all outside together. And so as it applied to that, no, um, that never happened. But in the very, very beginning um, until I was six, we lived in rural Utah. So we lived on a farm and- There was nowhere. I mean, there was 326 people that lived in Ranlett, and I talk a lot about that um, in the book and the history that that town um, has. And so, I mean, it was just her and I until I was about six, when we relocated. Uh, my mom left her uh, first husband, and we moved in with my grandparents her parents and um yeah she she kept up the bullying but it just it just looked different if yeah. if that makes sense
0: gotcha gotcha so um so you were in utah and at some point you guys moved in with your your grandparents yes your sister's 7 years older what how old was your sister when she left the home did she
1: leave for college or anything no she was uh, she was I'm not sure she'd had her 16th birthday yet she was probably 15 um, and it's something I uh, I write about in the book a little bit more details about what my life looked like once she no longer lived at home and how that I thought my life was finally I was finally gonna be free I was finally, going to find um, some peace. Sounds like she terrorized you. She was not a, she was not a good person. She really wasn't. She had a lot. I believe, you know, we all come here with stuff and I believe she had a lot that she had to work through. And what I think is that I became her target Mm -hmm. because she didn't have anybody else, right? Like my mom's first husband was extremely abusive, right? She she, she, she could not stand up to him. She didn't know how to deal, you know, with, with that. Um, she was what, also a victim.
0: Was that your sister's father? No. Did, okay. So the man who you thought was your father, was it the same man, the same father for your sister too? You believe that you both had the same father?
1: No, no. Okay. The, the man on my birth certificate is my younger brother's, uh, I see. father. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. How many times did your mother marry
1: during your childhood? Yes. Um, just twice in her life,
0: okay. So, um, your sister, where were you guys when your sister leaves at age sixteen? Were you
1: in California?
0: You made it to California. Yes. So did you find that being were you in l a?
1: No, Orange County. okay.
0: Did you find that there were more people who looked like you? No, no. So it was still a predominantly white one
1: hundred percent area, yes.
0: okay. And so, when your sister left, um, did you receive any type of bullying from other people in the community or other kids in the neighborhood or at school, or were things just kind of calm and okay?
1: No, um, I was the I was always the outsider. Right? We 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 moved a lot. My mother, although she wasn't in the military. girl, let me tell you, she should have been. We moved, if not every year, we moved every other year. I attended five elementary schools, um, three high schools, um, one middle school. And yeah, we, we, moved, we moved a lot. So I was always the new kid. And I was always the kid that didn't fit in. And because I was, you know, both of those things, I really struggled um, making friends. And that yeah. was, um, it wasn't, you know, that part wasn't very easy, but it was easier to deal with because I expected it. It was hard and I could go home. It was harder to deal um, with my sister because home just didn't, when she was there, home didn't feel safe to me my mom um, when she left her first husband she worked a lot and so she was gone a lot and I my brother and I were in my sister's care and my brother looks just like my sister blonde hair blue-eyed right so there was there was the, that similarity and so she adored him um, and mm. not so much me
0: so do you think your sister had a hunch or saw something at some point in time to make her so adamant that you weren't their family or that you were absolutely different from them, that there's no way you could be 100% a member of, of your family. Do you think she saw something or suspected your mom did something outside of what
1: was expected of her as a woman? I... I think it's such a great question. I, you know, my sister and I never had the conversation. Um, She has been estranged, you know, from the family um, for decades. And when she comes around, she wreaks havoc that is just Mm. in her nature. Like if you can imagine a Tasmanian devil, like she she wreaks havoc where she goes. Oh, um, gosh. and she brings that chaos, um, oh. you know, with her and she, for lack of a better word, I would say that she is a troubled soul. Yeah. Um, I was and just
0: about to say that.
1: Yeah, she, she truly is. She came here to work out some things. And I think that, I don't think that she chose to do that. I think What, what do you mean? she chose she came- to,
0: she came to Atlanta to work out some things. No.
1: Oh. I believe that we all enter this life. Oh, figuratively. That, gotcha. Yeah, that we need to work out, that okay. we um, that we we have lessons to learn. Um, I believe that we're all here as evolving souls. And uh-huh. through the evolution of your soul, there are things that you that you must learn that you must let go of, um, things that you, you must embrace. And for each one of us, that looks a little different. And I just don't believe that she, she was ever in a space in her life that she welcomed that opportunity. Um, instead, I think that she chose, uh, the easier route. She, she chose instead to, um, to lash out. And, 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 and mind you, as I said earlier, she was the victim of abuse, right? We all were. Um, She just handled it differently. Um, And, and I think that at, at some points in her life, I'm sure that she wanted peace and she craved a better relationship with, you know, our mom and maybe even her siblings. I don't know, but what I can say is, is how she, you know, ultimately showed up and, and that was um, in chaos and, and in deceit and, and she just would choose to remove herself from, for long periods of time. And, and so, you know, as a result, I think that for me, what I have chosen is peace in, in, in my life. And so she's not part of it. Not that yeah. I mean, Look, let me let me out front. like it's not like she's calling me up, you know, asking to be in my life, but um to the the greatest degree possible, uh I also just keep a, a good distance if that makes sense,
0: yeah. your sister, her profile fits one of um a, a child who was sexually abused. so um your sister was probably sexually abused or molested at some point during her childhood and um, angry because your mother didn't afford her the protection that she needed as a kid. That's what it sounds like to me. Just, you know, hearing the, your, you describe your sister and her anger. Um, so she's been estranged from you, from the family. Mm -hmm. Where's your mother?
1: My mom passed 10 years ago.
0: Wow. My condolences. Thank you. 10 years ago. So around 2013 or so. Yes, And, um, so, you know, this is a mental health show. Um, when I listen to you and you talk about how often your mother moved, um, was it, did it have anything to do with her occupation? Was it about survival and financial? Um, do you think, Do you, have you ever suspected that your mother had a mental health challenge or some sort of disorder? Um, when you think back, or if you've ever, you know, just thought about or mold over your childhood and all of the moving, or um, maybe you even got a chance to talk to your mom about that. What's your understanding as to why you all
1: move so much? No, I was, I was really clear. Um, even growing up, my mother's was so passionate about doing the best that she possibly could for her family financially, having been raised by parents who grew up in the depression um, and having five siblings herself and feeling the impact of what poverty looked like, what she never wanted was that for her children. And so my mother was always in pursuit of doing better and improving the life that, you know, her kids would live. And in doing so um, each time we'd move, it would be to a little bit of a better neighborhood, a little bit better of a, um, a school system, a better house, right? Like she was always in search of doing and being better. And that comes from her own childhood, and that's something that it took me. I had tremendous compassion for my mom, probably starting, um, well, from a very early age. You know, I think that growing up in a in a violent home, um, you you take on different roles, right? And for me, I self-assigned um, myself to, as my mother's protector but I didn't gain the true compassion um, for my mom until I actually became um, a mother. I always loved my mother, but I understood her so much more when I became a mom. And it was really interesting in, in reflecting that in writing my book, you know, you have to do a lot of self um, introspection and and you really got to dig up some stuff that just sucks. Um, And it's painful and difficult, but the thing that I did decide was that if I was going to tell the story, I was going to tell it all, even the ugly parts, even the things that I didn't want anybody to know about, um, the things that I had been running and hiding from. And so I got a chance, even though my mother had already been deceased, you know, for all those years, I felt like I got to know her even better in writing my book and, and doing you know, the research, so to speak, which was, you know, interviewing um, family members that were still living. And so I knew my mother's intentions. And I always knew my mother loved us fiercely. That part, I never doubted. I knew growing up that I was loved by her. Her first husband, you know, not so much. <laughs> but, um, you know, he was abusive. And she, she didn't have a good picker,
0: yeah. So Dr. Nyama, you say all that to say it was for financial reasons that
1: you guys moved a lot.
0: Is yeah, that what... she was
1: always trying to do better for us. So okay. every so a better job
0: day, opportunity, day. a better job opportunity. Um, what what did your mother do for work?
1: Um, several things as computer technology evolved Got initially, it. she was a, um, a key punch operator, uh, before computers were around and, um, and then, you know, as technology evolved then she, you know, evolved, you know, um, along with the technology yeah. and, um, some of the things I honestly could not tell you. Oh, no, that that's 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 good
0: enough. She was in the uh, technology space. Yeah. Now on the cover of your book, including you, there are seven children. Did yes. you have six siblings?
1: No, no, um, no, those um, the only sibling because my brother was too young at that point whoever took that picture Mm -hmm. um if it was my mom she was either holding um my baby brother or somebody else was so I grew up with my older sister and my younger brother the other um kids around are my cousins gotcha okay
0: have you ever had a conversation with your cousins or your little brother about your discovery
1: uh yes so um as I was saying earlier, right before my 18th birthday, mm-hmm. um, I, I there was a situation and I think that my mother had done all that she could do to protect me over the years. And when we moved to this little tiny town in Arizona, uh, I don't think that any of those people had even seen black people other than on TV. And I got cornered in the cafeteria I was it was my senior year and I got cornered by three of the senior boys that were you know the popular kids on campus and they threatened so in this little tiny town it was surrounded by just desert and I'm and I literally mean like just hundreds of miles of desert right and the kids would go way far out into the sand dunes and they build these giant bonfires and drink and do whatever stupid stuff that high school kids do. Um, and you, if you didn't know where you were going, you would have never found, you know, these kids. Um, and I knew about it. I, of course, was never invited, but I knew about the place and I knew the um, that, you know, they go out and because I'd hear kids talking about it. Um, in class and in the hallways. And so when I got um, cornered by these three, they threatened to take me out to where they would go and lynch me. Mm. Only I didn't know what lynching meant. Mm. And I knew it wasn't a good thing. And I was terrified.
0: What year was that?
1: 1989, 88, 88, because it was first semester.
0: Gotcha. So you said you were 18. So this was your first year of college or high school? No, this, this is was right. School.
1: This is right before my, uh, my 18th birthday and it was okay. high school.
0: Gotcha. Um, so by that point in time, had you realized that I don't think I'm white? I think I might be a mix of something. I'm not sure what's going on here, but what was your own self-identity regarding your, your race?
1: That's so interesting um, that you say that because there's a line in the, um, in the book that says, when you have no identity, that you can point to, what does that say about yourself, right? That that was a question that I walked around with my entire life. Um, and it wasn't as if I recognized that I looked different and then did nothing about it. Right, like yeah. I asked my mom. There was it. It wasn't like, oh, I don't look like anybody, and I'm just going to walk around with my head in the clouds. No. When,
0: what? How old were you when you started asking your mom, why do oh. I look
1: different? Um, one of the stories that I tell in the book is being four and recognizing that um, I used to. I had a nervous. I had a habit that I picked up from my mother which was a nervous habit of hers. And I subconsciously picked it up, um, but not from nerves, Um, but I used to pick the skin on the sides of my thumbs. And I stayed in the bath one night way too long and and she's getting me out and telling me off. And I looked down at my thumbs and I saw that the skin was white. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, oh my God, if I picked all the top layer of skin off of my entire body, that I would then look like all of my family, and that okay. I would be loved, and that i that I wouldn't be different, and that I would be worthy mm. and and I remember saying nothing. I, I remember bursting into tears thinking I had the answer. Mm-hmm. But then, of course, you know, it doesn't take that long for you to figure out that you can't actually do that, although I did try. Um, and I remember asking my mom, you know, coming home from, you know, school and wanting to audition for a Cinderella play that was um, in my elementary school we lived in california and them telling me that you know i could not audition because cinderella didn't look like me and mm. and being heartbroken and trying to ask my mom and what i think ultimately when my mom finally did tell me at 18 when i look back at all those moments that i had asked her that what she was doing her very best was to protect me that we didn't live in a time for which that she felt that it was safe for me. Um, and again, I grew up with an Italian family. Italians are as racist as they come, yeah. right? Like, yeah. so all my life I heard racist slurs, mostly about black, but it wasn't only black folks. I mean, mm-hmm. we lived in Southern California, you know, um, on the border state, you know, of Mexico. So of course, you know, immigration was a constant topic at all these family dinners we would have. And, you know, there was just always this sort of low murmur of fear, Mm -hmm. you know, in my family. And that fear was always us versus them, right? It's a, it's a learned behavior. It's a socialized behavior. It is how we are programmed so that we then are always in fear of somebody else that we could not then imagine that we could then, you know, gather and that we as the collective would then be more powerful, Um, but instead, you know, we walk around um, as if we are so different and so Um, I I believe that my mom, each time she denied the, um, you know, my differences or, you know, why I didn't look like anybody. I believe that she believed that she was protecting me. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So how old were you when you found out your father's true identity?
1: Um, A day after that incident happened at high school, because at no I think that my mother at that point, cause I had come home, I called my sister. Um, she didn't live with us, um, anymore. And although that there was nobody else that I wanted to share this with, um, or she was, <laughs> let, me re- let me restate that. She was the last person on the planet that I wanted to talk to about this, except who else was I going to ask? Um, and so, when I came home to call my sister, all I wanted to know was what lynching meant. Um, and I begged her, don't tell mom, right? Cause I knew it would upset my mom. And I knew that I was still playing that role as my mother's protector. And so my sister said nothing. And that was extremely odd because my sister was always a venomous quick silver tongue. And she said nothing. And I remember feeling very frustrated by that conversation and then the next thing I know the next day I'm getting summoned to my mother's room I couldn't imagine why until I remember that my sister of course didn't keep her promise and my mom I believe at that time felt like she had no other choice because she could no longer keep me safe this was no this was not a, a situation where what she wanted trumped my physical safety and um and so i feel like you know at that moment that she had to tell but she told only the bare minimum there was there was not an a very um it wasn't a very full story uh it was just it was just the minimum um, i think that she felt like she could tell and and get away with it so to speak
0: wow so have you ever met your father no do you know his name
1: i know what i think i know the name that she told me Hmm. um but then later she recanted and said because he was a musician Um, And she said all the musicians were changing their name at their time. And she didn't believe um, that that was even his name. So I don't, I I don't know.
0: I understand why you wrote this book. Yeah. Guys, please pick up her book and and read it because. um, This seems to be one story about identity but it really does help in defining how we learn who we are throughout life and um as you can hear from Dr. Naima you don't have to stay stuck or remain in your trauma you don't have to stay stuck in in that that situation you can what did you do to get out of it Dr. Naima I started to fill in the blanks, but Mm -hmm. let's ask you, how did you deal with your, your trauma? I mean, you had, you had childhood racism, um, not micro, but macro aggressions from your own sister, bullying in your own household, bullying when you went to school. We know that today bullying has led to some young people killing themselves. Um, and so you dealt with all of these things and then Once you became an adult, you, I don't want to say you had a broken identity, but before you repaired it, there was some brokenness.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that, you know, I think that we, we do the best that we can to make sense of our environment. And for me, I just remember feeling numb for a really long time. And also that it brought up a lot of traumas um, for me. And I did what I believed that my family had been doing for nearly 18 years is I put it in a box and I tucked it away really, really far away and just stuffed it down. Um, And then... I went about my life. And a couple years later, when I was a student at USC, there all of a sudden became this realization that I wanted the opposite. Like, I felt like I had been robbed, essentially, of being Black for 18 years. Wow. And that Whoa, I had-
0: I got I to stop you. That's powerful. That was powerful you were robbed of being black for 18 years. I just got pilo erections, aka goosebumps, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: robbed of being black for 18 years. I just... Damn, Dr. Naima.
1: I think that there's... when, When there is zero representation in your life. I don't think that there, I don't think that there's a word that you can place to describe what children then identify as their own worth and their own value when they see no one in their world that looks like them doing anything of merit and you know what i have been asked so often in since writing this book is like come on girl you had to know you was black but if nobody How looks you like know? you there was no opportunity. It wasn't like I went to school with black kids. I didn't. Our neighbors weren't black. We weren't hanging out. There wasn't a Jack and Jill. Like there was, there were no black people. And so Mm. my coming out was at USC, but that was, I was a transfer student, right? Mm. Like it, it took me a minute to get my whole life together. I was not a good academician in high school. And so it took me two years to get, to turn everything around academically. So when I got to USC's campus, it was in the wake of the Rodney King trial and the whole city was on fire and it was in an uproar and there was so much there was civil unrest and disobedience and you know this this crying out to be heard mm-hmm. and it could not have been a more Perfect union for me. It was exactly where I wanted to be. It was exactly where I needed to be. I needed to give voice to my own frustration, my own anger. I had spent so many years protecting my mother, and now I didn't know how to do that when she was the one who had lied all of this time. And so there was this internal just constant battle. And when I got to USC, I decided I'm gonna be super black. So I got big dookie braids in my hair, a big ring in my nose. I wore (laughs) t-shirts that said, you know, Socrates is a liar. You know, Christopher Columbus is a murderer. You could hear me saying down with whitey black power, like the whole nine, I became super black. And that was my way to deal with some of the inconsistencies um, is to go 110% Mm -hmm. while I didn't dig out the box and decompartmentalize things. What I did was go full force ahead in trying to claim an identity for me. So what I didn't do was claim being a biracial woman. I didn't do that. So what does that mean for you know, a woman who's 20, who doesn't identify as being biracial, but fully understands that the world sees her as a black woman. And so that's how I'm going to show up in the world. Well, let's just say that my family was not that excited. Yeah. And they struggled with that.
0: Two quick questions before we have to get out of here. Mm -hmm. Where is your brother? And do you have a relationship with him?
1: Yes, he lives in Kentucky, of all places. Uh, He just (laughs) bought a farm in Kentucky, which I think is hilarious, um, because that's where we came from. Um, And yes, I love him to pieces. Absolutely adore him. Does he accept you for who you are, a Black woman? 100%. Yeah, 100%. Now, our politics look exactly the opposite um he's extremely opinionated and very loud and boisterous about said opinions yeah. and i love him to pieces and i you know i am both the mediator and his sister right yeah. so when we get in conversations i'm the one that goes i, 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 I we're not going to talk about that brother yeah. we're not going to talk about it yeah but him and his very blonde blue-eyed wife came to my book opening book launch party and they were the only white folks in a room of 60 people. And my brother proudly stood there and gave me accolades and said how much he loved me and how proud he was like, that was, it was so damn dope. So yeah, Mm -hmm. he's a pretty incredible human being and I love him to pieces.
0: Yeah. I'm so relieved that your relationship with your brother is intact. Um, that is, that is great to know love yeah. conquers all man. And Amen. Re- regardless of who his father is or was and who your father is or was, um, you guys are family.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, Agreed. So the last question is, um, whether or not and you know, and I don't want to put you on the spot.
1: Go oh ahead, girl. Comfortable and I'm sandy, ready. I'm on the couch. Go ahead.
0: <laughs> did you seek mental health treatment during this process of re
1: rebirthing yourself? When I decided to write the book, it was maybe the latter. Hmm. When I knew that I would write the book is when I had the emotional collapse. Three weeks later, I was in a therapist office a month into that is when I actually knew that I would go through with it. And if it was not for dear, sweet, patient, incredibly wise, earnest, seeing me every Friday, sometimes for up to two hours, there's no way that raised as a lie would exist. It was through him. And because I was able to dissect all of these really complicated, complex hidden for so long, beat down, that I had forgotten years and years of my life. It was because of his willingness to take that journey with me. And through that therapy, then that birth, that book was birthed. So 100%, I I can't say enough about that. Every time I speak about this book, Ernest gets brought up because I know the value of what he did and continues to do. I still see him just less frequent.
0: Yeah, yeah. So guys on the couch with me is Dr. Nay- Naima. Go to her website, D-R-N-A-E-E-M-A.com. Um, Order her book on Amazon, Raised as a Lie. Um, it has many layers. I, I think um, I ordered the book. And I'm going to take my sweet time and read it so I can understand it. Because there are so many different layers to understand racism, to understand a woman, to understand, you know, I mentioned your sister possibly was uh, traumatized as a child um, and abused, but, you know, that could even be your mother as well. Your mother may have dealt with some things also. Um we know it's commonplace for women, especially from her generation. Um, so there are just so many layers to this book. And I really appreciate you for getting on the couch and opening up and sharing your soul. Because to do something like this, you have to bear your soul. Yeah. And so I'm appreciative. And, you know, to the listeners, if any of you are going through a situation similar to this, Dr. Na- Naima is also a coach as you heard me say in the beginning, go to her website. Um, she has a podcast and, um, just check her out, man. She will tell you, you are worthy of every damn thing. Those are her words, not mine. Those are her words, not mine. Thank you for being on the couch. Dr. Naima, please say brain love, brain love. Okay, perfect. And silly me, I'm forgetting how to stop record. <laughs> this is what I get for talking about. I'm not going to edit this. It's the end of an episode. Thank you guys for joining me on my couch. It's been a pleasure. It's Dr. Delvina. Remember, every day you must have brain love. Balance, you can't have all work and no play and you can't have all play and no work. Reframe, reframe your negative thinking. Think positively, avoid negative people. Inside, everything you need, it's inside of you. Look inside yourself. Needs. Know your needs. Your needs come first, not everyone else's. Limitations. Limit your expectations of yourself. Ownership. Own your mistakes, learn from them, and move on. Vengeance is not yours, it's the Lord's. Express yourself. Every day, meaningful communication. Don't go to bed angry. And that's been my show, guys. Brain love. Thank mm-hmm. you.